history, apologetics, and current events. From the housetops, coming up next. From the liturgical year by Abbot Garanger, St. Francis de Sales, Bishop and Doctor of the Church. The angelical bishop, Francis de Sales, has a right to a distinguished position near the crib of Jesus on account of the sweetness of his virtues, the childlike simplicity of his heart, and the humility and tenderness of his love. He comes with the luster of his glorious conquests upon him. Seventy-two thousand heretics converted to the church by the ardor of his charity. An order of holy servants of God, which he founded, and countless thousands of souls, trained to piety by his prudent and persuasive words and writings. God gave him to the church at the very time that heresy was holding her out to the world as a worn-out system that had no influence over men's minds. He raised up this true minister of the gospel in the very country where the harsh doctrines of Calvin were most in vogue, that the ardent charity of Francis might counteract the sad influence of that heresy. If you want heretics to be convinced of their errors, said the learned Cardinal du Perron, you may send them to me, but if you want them to be converted, send them to the Bishop of Geneva. Francis de Sales was sent then as a living image of Jesus Christ, opening his arms and calling sinners to repentance, the victims of heresy to truth, the just to perfection, and all men to confidence and love. The Holy Spirit had rested on him with all its divine power and sweetness. A while back we were meditating on the baptism of Jesus and how the Holy Ghost descended upon him in the shape of a dove. There is an incident in the life of Francis which reminds us of this great mystery. He was singing Mass on Whit Sunday at Annecy. A dove which had been let into the cathedral, after flying for a long time around the building, at length came into the sanctuary and rested on the saint's head. The people could not but be impressed with the circumstance which they looked on as an appropriate symbol of Francis's loving spirit. Francis was born of pious and noble parents in the town of Sales, from which the family took their name. From his earliest years he gave pledge of his future sanctity by the innocence and gravity of his conduct. Having been instructed in the liberal sciences during his youth, he was sent to Paris that he might study philosophy and theology and in order that his education might be completed, he was sent to Padua, where he took with much honor the degree of doctor in both civil and canon law. He visited the sanctuary of Loretto, where he renewed the vow he had already taken in Paris of perpetual virginity, in which holy resolution he continued till death, in spite of all the temptations of the devil and all the allurements of the flesh. He refused to accept an honorable position in the Senate of Savoy and entered into the ecclesiastical state. He was ordained priest and was made provost of the Diocese of Geneva. So admirably did he fulfill all of his duties that Bishop Grenier selected him for the arduous undertaking of laboring, by the preaching of God's word, for the conversion of the Calvinists of Chablais and in the neighboring country around about Geneva. This mission he undertook with much joy He had to suffer the harshest treatment on the part of the heretics who frequently sought to take away his life, calumniated him, and laid all kinds of plots against him. But he showed heroic courage in the midst of all these dangers and persecutions, and by the divine assistance converted, as it is stated, 72,000 heretics to the Catholic faith, among whom 
were many distinguished by the high position they held in the world and by their learning. After the death of Bishop Grandier, who had already made him his coadjutor, he was made Bishop of Geneva. Then it was that his sanctity showed itself in every direction, by his zeal for ecclesiastical discipline, his love of peace, his charity to the poor, and every virtue. From a desire to give more honor to God, he founded a new order of nuns, which he named in honor of the visitation, taking for their rule that of St. Augustine, to which he added constitutions of admirable wisdom, discretion, and sweetness. He enlightened the children of the church by the works he wrote, which are full of a heavenly wisdom and point out a safe and easy path to Christian perfection. In his 55th year, whilst returning from France to Annecy, he was taken with his last illness immediately after having celebrated Mass on the feast of St. John the Evangelist, December 27th. On the following day, his soul departed this life for heaven in the year of our Lord, 1622. His body was taken to Annecy and was buried with great honors in the church of the nuns of the order he had founded. Immediately after his death, miracles were obtained through his intercession, which being officially authenticated, he was canonized by Pope Alexander VII, and his feast was appointed to be kept on the 29th of January, and he was declared a doctor of the Universal Church by Pope Pius IX, after consultation with the Sacred Congregation of Rites. O peaceful conqueror of souls, pontiff beloved of God and men, we venerate thee as the perfect imitator of the sweetness and gentleness of Jesus. Having learned of him to be meek and humble of heart, you did, according to his promise, possess the land. Nothing could resist thee. Heretics, however obstinate, sinners, however hardened, tepid souls, however sluggish, all yielded to the powerful charm of thy word and example. Pray for us to our Lord that our charity may be ardent like thine, that the desire of perfection may be ever active within us, that we may gain that introduction to a devout life which thou hast so admirably taught, that we may have that love of our neighbor without which we cannot hope to love God, that we may be zealous for the salvation of souls, that we may be patient and forgive injuries in order that we may love one another, not only in word and in tongue, but as thy great model says, in deed and in truth. Bless the church militant, whose love for thee is as fresh as if you had just left her, thou who art venerated and loved throughout the whole world. Hasten the conversion of the followers of Calvin. Thy prayers have already miraculously forwarded the great work, and the holy sacrifice has long since been publicly offered up in the very city of Geneva. Pray also for the venerable episcopate, of which thou art the ornament and model. Ask our Lord to bless the church with pastors endowed with thy spirit, inflamed with thy zeal, and imitators of thy sanctity. And let us pray, O God, who for the salvation of souls was pleased that blessed Francis, thy confessor and bishop, should become all to all, mercifully grant that being plentifully enriched with the sweetness of thy charity, by following his directions and by the help of his merits, we may obtain life everlasting. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. The Secret of Mary by St. Louis de Montfort Total consecration to Jesus through Mary is the most perfect way for us human creatures to give ourselves to God our Creator. By it we imitate the Blessed Trinity. To give ourselves to Jesus through Mary is to imitate God the Father, 
who has given us his Son only through Mary, and who communicates to us his grace only through Mary. It is to imitate God the Son, who has come to us only through Mary, and who, by giving us an example that as he has done, we also should do, John 13:15, has urged us to go to him by the same means by which he has come to us, that is, through Mary. It is to imitate the Holy Ghost, who bestows his graces and gifts upon us only through Mary. St. Bernard asks, Is it not fitting that grace should return to its author by the same channel which conveyed it to us? To go to Jesus through Mary is truly to honor Jesus Christ, for it denotes that we do not esteem ourselves worthy of approaching his infinite holiness directly and by ourselves because of our sins, that we need Mary, his holy mother, to be our advocate and mediatrix with him, our mediator. It is to approach Jesus as our mediator and brother, and at the same time to humble ourselves before him, as before our God and our judge. In a word, it is to practice humility, which is always exceedingly pleasing to the heart of God. To consecrate ourselves thus to Jesus through Mary is to place in Mary's hands our good actions, which, although they may appear to us to be good, are often very imperfect and unworthy of the sight and the acceptance of God, before whom even the stars are not pure. Let us pray, then, to our dear Mother and Queen, that having received our poor present, that she may purify it, sanctify it, embellish it, and thus render it worthy of God. If you wish to present something to God, no matter how small it may be, says St. Bernard, place it in Mary's hands, if you do not wish to be refused. Great God, how insignificant everything that we do really is. But let us place all in Mary's hands by this devotion. When we have given ourselves to Mary to the very utmost of our power, by despoiling ourselves completely in her honor, she will far outdo us in generosity and will repay us a hundredfold. She will communicate herself to us with her merits and virtues. She will place our presence on the golden plate of her charity. She will clothe us as Rebecca clothed Jacob with the beautiful garments of her elder and only son, Jesus Christ, that is, with his merits, which she has at her disposal. And thus, after we have despoiled ourselves of everything in her honor, we shall be clothed in double garments, that is, the garments, the ornaments, the perfumes, the merits, and the virtues of Jesus and Mary clothe the soul of their slave, who has despoiled himself and who perseveres in this self-abnegation. We'll be back with more from the housetops after this break. This is Deacon Bob Connor of First Concerned Pregnancy Resource Center, Clinton and Marlboro, and you are listening to WQPH 89.3 FM, Shirley Fitchburg. Here's a special prayer from Father McDonough. If you'd like to share a healing or blessing from Father McDonough, please call us at 617-459-8735. That's 617-459-8735. He is being considered for sainthood. God the Father has given us his Son for the resurrection of his people. Let us turn with confidence to the Father and say, may the Lord Jesus be our very life. O Jesus, give us the grace to abide in you so that you can abide in us and our lives may be fruitful. O Jesus, risen Savior, help us to be conscious of the fact that you are with us forever 
as our friend and our good shepherd. And as a pillar of fire, Heavenly Father, you lighted the way for your people in the desert. Now through the resurrection of Jesus, may he today be the light of our lives and the light of the world. And through the voice of Moses, oh Heavenly Father, you taught your people from the mountain. And through his resurrection now, oh Heavenly Father, may Christ be today the light of our life. May he be a voice that fills us with hope. On the WQPH 89.3 FM community calendar, WQPH is very pleased to announce our first annual Shrove Tuesday Brunch, which is going to take place on the Feast of the Holy Face, which is Shrove Tuesday, Tuesday, February 13th, the day before Ash Wednesday, from 10.30 a.m. to 1.30 p.m. It's going to be at Slattery's Restaurant, 106 Lunenburg Street in Fitchburg, Massachusetts, you're going to have a chance to meet your fellow WQPH listeners, meet some of the WQPH hosts who are around locally, and together we'll have some fellowship to prepare ourselves for our Lenten journey, which will begin the following day. Also, the tickets are going to be numbered because there's going to be a drawing for a Catholic care package to help the person who wins the drawing with various little things to help them along for their Lenten journey. Now, the tickets are $45 a piece, but only $40. If you buy them before February 1st, you can save $5 there. You can get your tickets at wqphradio.org. Just click on the Donate button and put down Shrove Tuesday tickets. There may be a Shrove Tuesday ticket there. You just click on that and again, just say tickets for Shrove Tuesday. They will be available after some masses in the local area. Or you can call 617-459-8735. That's 617-459-8735. Call or text and you can get your tickets reserved for the Shrove Tuesday Brunch. Again, that's the first annual WQPH 89.3 FM Shrove Tuesday Brunch. Tuesday, February 13th, the Feast of the Holy Face, 10.30 a.m. to 1.30 p.m. Slattery's Restaurant, 106 Lunenburg Street, Fitchburg, Massachusetts. Again, tickets $45, but $40 if you get them before February 1st. Hope to see you there. This has been the WQPH 89.3 FM Community Calendar. Most sacred heart of Jesus, truly present in the Holy Eucharist, I consecrate my body and soul to be entirely one with your heart, being sacrificed at every instant on all the altars of the world and giving praise to the Father, pleading for the coming of his kingdom. Please receive this humble offering of myself. Use me as you will for the glory of the Father and the salvation of souls. Most Holy Mother of God, never let me be separated from your divine Son. Please defend and protect me as your special child. Amen. You are listening to WQPH 89.3 FM, Shirley Fitchburg. And now a word from author Peter and Jimmy, who is the host of Your Prayer Intentions, taking place every Saturday at 12.30 p.m. Whether you're donating money or giving us prayers, without you, we don't go on. And if you do want to help us go on, please consider going to WQPH radio.org there's a donate button there you can give once you can give monthly and it makes a difference it keeps all of our shows and we have a great lineup of shows keeps us going and whether you're a fan of uh your prayer intentions whether you like steve's show benedict's hammer sundays at midnight whether you like brother matthew and brother anthony from from the housetops which is on sundays 10 30 a.m and 4 p.m whether you're a fan of the children's rosary which we have every day at 5 p.m seven days a week 
Whether you like our local matter show, which is Saturday at 11, or Talk Catholic, which comes right after us at 12.30, Larry's Music Off, Sunday at 11 a.m., we have the Shepherd's Pie Saturdays at 1 p.m., or Dan and Tom with the 13th Apostle, which comes just before us at 11.30. Any of those shows and all the stuff you donate, you help these things come out. But what's also at the WQPH website, in addition to podcasts of our shows, is the prayer wall. Right on the prayer wall, support WQPH and get WQPH 24 hours a day, 7 days a week on WQPHradio.org. Our passions are the most powerful agents the devil can employ for our ruin. We must, therefore, overcome them or be ruined through them. They are, says St. Bernard, irreconcilable enemies. If we do not crush them, they will crush us. If, after having crushed them, we cease to watch them and to be on our guard against them, they will spring up again, will renew the attack, and will put our salvation in danger. It is, therefore, necessarily a daily war which we have to wage, a war directed not merely against an isolated passion, but against all the passions which have their germ in our hearts. We must combat voluptuousness by the retrenchment of sensual pleasures, which are as a bait to it, turn away our eyes from creatures calculated to soften the heart, and promptly turn away our mind from the first dangerous thought which presents itself, saying with St. Bernard, When my God is hanged on a gibbet, can I indulge in pleasure? We must combat vain desires by the strength of soul which moderates them, and contents itself with little. We must combat profane joys by the contempt of passing enjoyments, which a Christian ought to consider as too much beneath it to attract its esteem. Hatred is combated by the consideration that God pardons only those who forgive. Fear is repelled by the elevated sentiment that a Christian fears nothing except sin. Sorrow puts its clouds to flight by the hope of heaven. Presumption yields to humility which confesses its weakness and powerlessness without the aid of God. We combat despair by the consideration of the mercies of God, of the merits of Jesus Christ, and the all-powerful and loving assistance of the Most Blessed Virgin. We overcome anger by silence, which closes the mouth as long as we are in a state of excitement, by the consideration of the meekness of Jesus Christ and of the opposition which exists between anger and reason. Lastly, We destroy envy by the spirit of Christian charity. Such is the war we must always wage against ourselves, now in refusing what is pleasant, and now in imposing on ourselves what is bitter, happy if by dint of fighting we can arrive at that happy state in which the soul, mistress of vanquished passions, free and unrestrained, lives only under the guidance of the Spirit of God and of His adorable will. He who does not, however, arrive at this point must not be discouraged. He who dies while fighting does not the less merit the palm of victory, but he who does not fight will be lost. The more passions we have, the less reason we possess. He who takes counsel of passion takes counsel of a fool. Always before acting we must open our mind to reason, our heart to grace, and put ourselves on the side of virtue against temper, and not on the side of temper against virtue. The Manual for Total Consecration to Mary. This book contains the readings and prayers for St. Louis de Montfort's 33 days of preparation for consecrating oneself to Jesus through Mary. This manual includes complete texts from Holy Scripture, The Imitation of Christ, 
Montfort's writings and prayers used for total consecration, all in this one handy volume. Available exclusively from St. Benedict Center. Go to stbenedict.com gift shop and order your copy of the Manual for the Total Consecration to Mary. Hammond's Meditations for the Feast of the Presentation of Jesus in the Temple The Sacrifice which the Infant Jesus in the Temple Made to His Father Jesus Christ, from the time of His entrance into the world, had indeed said to His Father, as David and St. Paul tell us, Sacrifice and oblation thou wouldst not, but a body thou hast fitted me. Holocausts for sin did not please thee. Then said I, Behold, I come. In the head of the book it is written of me that I should do thy will, O God. But this sacrifice was made in the secret of his heart. Now he comes to make it public and solemn, in company with Mary and Joseph, the old man Simeon and Anna the prophetess, who were permitted to be the happy witnesses of it. Let us admire this sublime offering destined to take the place of all the ancient sacrifices. While Mary presents in her pure hands the child God to his father, he abases himself before the eternal majesty. He adores him with highest esteem, with profoundest reverence, and he consecrates to him the whole of his being. And he offers himself as the universal victim in the name of the whole creation. Oh, how glorious for God was this day, and how precious for us. It is the day which the prophets foresaw. At the sight of this divine offering, who does not feel at the bottom of his heart that it is a duty for him to consecrate himself wholly to the Lord and to say to him in union with the adorable victim of today, I am wholly thine, O my God, to serve thee. My possessions, my body and soul, all is dependent on thy sovereign power. I give them up entirely into thy hands. I no longer belong to myself. O oh, who will enable me to understand these words? I am no longer my own. Therefore, I ought not to seek myself in anything. No more self-will, no more attachments, no more self-love. Whether I am placed in a high or low condition, whether I am remembered or whether I am forgotten, whether I am praised or blamed, what does it matter? I am no longer my own. I am wholly thine, O oh my God. Let then... Thy good pleasure dispose of me and of all the moments of my existence as thou willest. I will never complain. I will always adore and bless thy will in regard to me, for I am no longer my own. The love with which the infant Jesus makes his sacrifice. Two sentiments led the infant Jesus to the temple. The love of God, his father, and the love of men, his new brethren. The fortieth day after his birth, he caused himself to be born to the temple. Up to that time, the offering of the firstborn, according to the prescription of the law, had derived all its merit from the pious disposition of the parents, and the newborn child, who was still devoid of reason, could not add any value to it. But in this case, it was quite otherwise. With what love of God Jesus offered himself to his Father to glorify him, and with what love for men he immolates himself that he may save them. Oh, what a mystery! These men are a thousand times unworthy of his love. They have outraged him, they will still outrage him, and yet he loves them to such a degree that he offers himself as a sacrifice for them. He foresees all it will cost him, of humiliations, of suffering, of bitter sorrows, to save them. It does not matter. 
Such is the ardor of his love that he heartily accepts all that he foresees of sacrifices. He offers his august head that it may one day wear the crown of thorns. He offers his feet and his hands to receive the impression of the nails. All his little body to be torn and wounded. All his soul to be imbued with shame and contempt. And his heart, his heart so loving to be transpierced through and through by the lance of a soldier. O Savior God, how did you love me on the day of thy presentation? What heart, while meditating on these things, could help being melted with love? Oh, how well you teach me thereby what love is when it burns the heart. He who loves God and his brethren is capable of the greatest sacrifices. O love, come then and consume me so that I may live only to love. Some years ago, the American Research Foundation issued a little booklet called Their God is the Devil, Papal Encyclicals and Freemasonry. The author, Paul A. Fisher, who is also the author of Behind the Lodge Door. Fisher points out how the Freemasons from the very beginning were attempting to overthrow the church and the state. He begins with the encyclical of Gregory XVI, Merari Vos. In 1832, Pope Gregory XVI issued this encyclical warning the bishops of the whole world that Freemasonry was spreading its poisonous doctrines with alarming success. The Pope spoke of the rebellious spirit in the Church, clamoring to make it more relevant to society. He lamented the open attacks on the Church, its faith, its sacred liturgy, and its traditions, especially by educational institutions. The corruption of the minds of the youth, he said, is a tremendous blow to the rightful place of religion and morals in society. He identified the Freemasons as responsible for the revolutions sweeping the world the destruction of public order, and the overturning of all legitimate power for the remaking of society freed from all ties of influence of the Church. Addressing those who wanted to make the Church more relevant, he quoted the Council of Trent, saying, To use the words of the Fathers of Trent, it is certain that the Church was instructed by Christ and his apostles, and that all truth was daily taught it by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Therefore, it is obviously absurd and injurious to propose a certain restoration and regeneration for her as though essential for her safety and growth, as if she could be considered subject to defect, obscuration, or other misfortune. Indeed, these authors of novelties, he says, consider that a foundation may be laid for a new human institution, and what St. Cyprian detested may come to pass, that what was a divine institution may become a human church." End quote. Apparently, the problems we're facing today aren't new. Back in Merari Vos, in 1832, Pope Gregory XVI addressed other problems. The abominable conspiracy against clerical celibacy. Demands to relax the indesirability of marriage. Indifferentism, by which it is claimed eternal salvation is available to everyone regardless of their religious affiliation. All of these problems were in direct relation to Masonic opinions influencing the Church. Later, Pope Pius IX condemned these same errors in Quanta Cura, an encyclical issued in 1864, wherein he condemns wicked men striving to destroy the very foundations of the Catholic religion and of civil society. These men, he continued, were preaching naturalism and advocated an absolute liberty 
which should be restrained by no authority, whether ecclesiastical or civil. In another session, we'll take a closer look at Pope Leo XIII's encyclical, Humanum Janus, issued in 1884, which unmasks Freemasonry once and for all. From the House Stops is produced by the slaves of the Immaculate Heart of Mary, Still River, Massachusetts.